Well, I turn you now to James chapter 1 on that classic, classic text on being a doer of the Word of God. A doer of the Word of God in James chapter 1 in verse 22. Jesus, you remember, said in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, you remember that Jesus said, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What a great phrase, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We are to be doers of the Word of God. Certainly, you would agree that the Bible is not meant merely to inform us. It is meant to transform our lives. Maybe you have heard of the husband and the wife who was discussing the possible trip to the Holy Land. I don't know if I've shared that with you before. The husband said to his wife, wouldn't it be fantastic if we went to the Holy Land and stood and shouted uh, from the mountaintop the Ten Commandments? And the wife said it would be better if we stayed home and kept them. Um, Certainly, we need to put those things into practice. And as we walk into James, the readers were looking in the context here for victory in the face of temptation. And James tells us where that victory is to be found. In fact, as we follow the argument, the key to resisting temptation is the transforming power of the Word of God. The theme here from one actually... 1918, all the way down to the end of the chapter, is the Word of God. And what James does in this section of Scripture is give us three vital responses to God's Word that provides the means for victory to us. In other words, how do you overcome sin? How do you even respond appropriately in trial? How do you overcome temptation? The key here is the transforming power of the Word of God. Let me read the text for you, and let me begin at James chapter 1 in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, in one nineteen. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like the man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, we begin to look at those vital responses. The first one was that you must hear God's word with submission. As you're in the face of trial or in the process of temptation, you and I need to make sure that we hear God's word with submission. And that was followed by those three points, and you're familiar with those. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. 
And they have to do that we've said in the last week or two with our response to the Word of God. Be quick to hear His Word with submission. Be slow to speak, if you will, against His Word. And be slow to anger, either against the character of God or against His Word. And so, as we're in the midst of temptation, you must hear God's Word with submission. Secondly, we noted that you must receive God's Word with meekness. And we said in order to receive that Word with meekness, something must be removed. And we talked last week about removing sin, filthiness, and wickedness. Something must be received. You're to receive that Word. That Word that saved you in 118 now needs to be received with meekness. And then something must be restored. And what's restored there you see that again in 121, is your soul, which is able to save your souls. And we noted there that that's not speaking of salvation. Salvation has already happened for the believer in 118, where he brought us forth by the word of truth, and it saved us, but that word that saved us needs to sanctify us. And so we need to make sure here that we're receiving God's word with meekness. And while the word must be heard, and while the word must be received with meekness, we also must obey what we have heard and received. So I bring you this morning to that third response, is that you must obey God's word with action. You must obey God's word with action. Now, as we walk through this point and principle this morning, pretty simple to see it. There's a command to follow, okay? Then he's going to give and provide an illustration to understand. And then finally, a blessing to be gained. And we'll look at that in that order. First, let's look at the command to follow. The command to follow in 122. You can see the command. Glance down again with your eyes. There in verse 22, it tells us to be doers of the word. In other words, James tells these people in the midst of their trial, in the midst of their temptation, he would exhort us by the spirit of God through the word of God this morning that you need to do what it says. You are and I am to hear that word. We are to receive that word. And now here you are to obey that word. It would be fair to say, as you see that principle and that command in 122, to to keep on being doers of the word is the admonition. In other words, that word brought you forth in 118, but your responsibility is to keep on acting upon the word that you know to be true. Look over in chapter 2 and verse 17. You're familiar with that statement there. So that also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Dead. We're to be a doer of the word. Look over at chapter 3 and verse 17 when he speaks of that heavenly wisdom. He said that wisdom from above in 317 is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. 
And so we are to receive that word and to put it into practice. In fact, look at 3.13 where it says there, Who is wise and understanding among you at Grace Church of the Valley? I added that. He says, by, the, by his good conduct, let him show his words in the meekness or show his, yeah, his words or works in the meekness of wisdom. And so we're to be a doer of the word of God. Now, I think we know well that our Lord said this over and over, did he not? Jesus said in John fifteen fourteen, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So even when you think of discipleship, Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus said in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. It's just that simple. Here we're exhorted to be a doer of the word, but our Lord said the same thing. Do you remember that John the Apostle, when we looked just months back, he said this in 1 John 2, 3, by this we have come to know him if we keep his, what? Commandments. It's that simple. We're to be a doer of the words. We come to know him, not because we grew up in a church in Kingsburg, not because you were in a denomination, not because your mom and dad are saved, not because you walked an aisle. John said, by this we know we come to know him. Bottom line, if we keep his commandments and be doers of the word. So he exhorts us there in this command to be a doer of the word. But look again at the text in verse 22. He says, and not hearers only. Now, that phrase there, hearers only, that expression is closely linked to the word disobedience. In fact, to be a hearer only in Hebrews 2, 1 and 2, the verb to hear And the noun for disobedience is in the same sentence. And so the command here is be a hearer, a doer of the word, and not a hearer only. If you are, high school student, merely a hearer and not a doer of the word of God, you have, look at verse 22, what it says, you have deceived yourselves if you don't put it into practice. It's quite a strong word. The, the word deceive there was used in kind of a mathematical uh, language. And the, uh, when the Bible was written, it referred to actually the miscalculation in an equation. So those who are content with hearing only are in grave error. And James says, you've deceived yourselves. So if your conduct and your actions do not match your profession, you have, according to the Scripture here, deceived yourself. And certainly this was the truth we looked through as we exposit the Scripture week after week, and we went through 1 John. In fact, 1 John said this to John in 1 John 3.10. He said that the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. That's what he said. Children of God, children of the devil are obvious. How, John? Well, he said this. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of 
God. That's simple. Now, again, you and I well know that we're saved by his grace, but that, sa- that grace that saved you is also a grace that will transform you. Anyone, John says, who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Our Lord said that the one who says, or actually it was John again in 2.4, that I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a, what, do you remember? A liar, and the truth is not in him. So over and over again, we're not just exhorted to be a doer of the word, but the very scripture itself links, if you will, our doing of the word to our very salvation. I mean, it's quite scary, is it not? I'm not trying to scare you, but it is scary when Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter where? The kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Wow. doesn't matter if you say, Lord, Lord. Jesus said, it's the one who does the will of my Father who's going to enter in heaven. Jesus went on to say, as you well know, that many, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never, what? Knew you, depart from me, who practice lawlessness. And so here is this command all over the scripture, reiterated here by James to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. In fact, Jesus might say, even as he did in his time this morning in Luke chapter 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Amazing. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Jesus went on to say in Luke 6 that everyone who comes to me and hears my word and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like the man building a home who dug a deep who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred and the torrent burst against that house and it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and not acted accordingly is like the man who built his house on the the ground or on the sand without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of the house was great. And so we're exhorted, are we not, to be a doer of the word and to act on it, to not act upon it, is to build our house upon the sand and it would call into question our very profession. An unknown author penned this, You call me master and obey me not. You call me the light and you see me not. You call me the way and walk not. You call me life and desire me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. You call me gracious and trust me not. You call me noble and serve me not. 
You call me mighty and honor me not. You call me just and fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. We got to be a doer of the word. And listen, some of you are new today at Grace Church of the Valley. We're glad you're here. But we take this word seriously. Amen? And we want to put it into practice. And I want to put it into practice as one of the elders and one of the leaders here. I want to be obedient to it. After all, didn't Paul say this in Romans 2.13? It is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Not the hearers, but the doers. And again, not saved by our works, but where that faith is real, it will issue forth in the fruit of obedience. I mean, I I don't say this next statement lightly. Some in our community, maybe some in church this morning, think because they attend church, because you go to the youth group, because you serve in a ministry, that you are pleasing to the Lord. But listen, if your listening is not accompanied by obedience, you are, James would say, deceived. I mean, oh, that that God would not say to Grace Church of the Valley what he said to Israel through Ezekiel the prophet. Ezekiel 33, there the God speaking, Son of man, your fellow citizens who will talk about you in the walls and in the doorways of the houses. And they will speak to one another. God's speaking to Ezekiel, okay? This is what they say. They're talking about you, Ezekiel, each to his brother, saying, come now and hear what the message is which comes forth from the Lord. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, but they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth, and their heart goes after their gain. And behold, God said to Ezekiel, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear your words but they do not practice them. I mean, I just would, gosh, not that I'm the prophet. I would not, you just, I would not want you to hear this and not practice them. Our Lord is after obedience. I mean, no wonder John the Apostle said in 1 John 3, 18, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. So he says to be a doer of the word and not hearers only. Now, to drive this home, the command to follow is now followed by an illustration to understand. Secondly, okay? The command to follow is now followed by an illustration to understand. Look at the text again, and you've seen this before, but let's touch on it. For if anyone, verse 23, is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, he goes away, and he at once forgets what he was like. But the one, contrast, who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He's obviously painting for us, is easy, 
an illustration. Two mirrors, right? You got one man, and, and I'll say one man. It could be a woman. But I would say to you that the language is not, uh, is not expressive of men and women. It's actually just a term for men, but the, the truth goes out. But you got two people. You've got the first man who takes a look immediately forgets, goes away, but the other man who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now, it doesn't take long to understand here when he talks about this illustration, the mirror here is the mirror of the Word of God. And just as a mirror reveals what we are on the outside, the Word of God reveals who we are on the inside. I mean, if you just took it for a moment here, we depend on mirrors. In fact, I would wonder if I asked the women here to stand up, if you reached into your purse and you had a compact in there, and then that compact was a mirror. I mean, all of us look in the mirror. I hope you looked in the mirror this morning before you came. And none of us men would want to go out, certainly in the public, after shaving with blood on our face or blood on our collar. I would actually say I've been embarrassed more than once with tissue on my face. You ever done that, man? Where you cut yourself shaving and you put a piece of tissue on it and you got ready for the day and you forgot that you had it on until you got out and somebody said, hey, you've got a tissue, you know, on your face. It's embarrassing. You don't want to, you want to take a glance, then you want to come back and make sure that when you go out, you're seen in the way. And so looking in the mirror is not only effective, is only effective if it leads to action. Otherwise, it's useless. I mean, we'd seldom go out in public without looking in the mirror. Nor should we hear the word of God, here's James' point, without acting upon it. Now, look again at the scripture here, and I I think this is going to come up. You see that there? You've got the man, we'll just call him, in the mirror. Then you've got the believer with the word. Now, you'll note here, and I'll walk you through this, in verse 23 and 24, both of these men, if you will, come to the Word of God. Both of these men look at the Word of God. There are many scholars who try to go into all the variations, I'll say this in a moment, who said that the first one, if you look down in verse 23, where it says there that anyone who is a hearer of the Word and not a doer is like the man who looks intently at the natural face in the mirror and then down 25 but the one who looks into the perfect law they try to make a difference in the greek language between the look okay and i'm just telling you maybe you've heard that i don't think you can do that with the word of god the you got two people looking in fact i can take you to five scriptures which i won't on the first look that even the first look in other passages is an intent look so you got both people looking, but secondly, on this left, your left column, the first man goes away. In the right column, the difference is not the look, it's what happens. That man perseveres. In the first column, that first man forgets, but in verse 25, the second man is a doer who acts. That first man in the mirror is deceived, and the second man who looks is blessed. And so I'm asking you, which are you this morning? Each are equally looking at the Word of God. One goes away. The other remains. One forgets. The other is the doer. One is deceived 
and the other one is blessed. Now, most commentators, as I just mentioned, make that difference between the one making a hasty glance, that first man, and the other man having an intense look. But again, as I mentioned, you cannot do that. Because in verse 25, the one who looks into the law is equally serious in his gaze. It's what happens next that is the key to understanding this word picture. In fact, look at the first man. Look at verse 23. Look at your scripture again. It says there that he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. It just means the the face of his birth. Verse 24, he looks at himself, you see it, he goes away and he forgets what he was like. He forgets what kind of person he is. He goes away. Interesting there, when he goes away, uh, James changes the tenses and Here's what I want to say by that. When he uses that phrase that he goes away, he puts it in what we call the perfect tense. So what does that mean? It emphasizes, if you will, a continuing and sustaining state. So he goes away and he kind of just remains, is the thought, in that state. This first person, it could be you this morning, Never, or maybe you're, the person you wish was here isn't here. The word never penetrates his heart. That particular person is a hearer only. And he is faulted, if you will, for not acting upon what he hears. He goes away and he's unchanged. He goes away, he forgets. He forgets the sermon. He forgets the reading. He forgets the devotion. In fact, in the context, this is the individual in a temptation who forgets God himself and who forgets the transforming power of the word. It is much like the witch doctor. This is a true story. A witch doctor on the mission field who saw herself in a mirror that was owned by a missionary. And the figure, if you can picture this, was so hideous that when she looked at herself, she jumped back. And immediately from that point, she began to bargain with the missionary for the mirror. And realizing was the missionary that she would not take no for an answer, the missionary finally agreed to a deal for the mirror. And no sooner was the transaction complete Then the woman, the witch doctor, grabbed the mirror and smashed it on the ground. And when the missionary asked why she did this, the woman replied, quote, it won't be making ugly faces at me anymore. And so she smashed it. And see, the Bible, if you will, reveals our ugliness to us. But the ugliness, fair does not go away simply by ignoring the Bible. It only goes away as we take the proper measures in the Scripture. And so you've got this first example in the illustration. But I'm thankful that James gave us another option, did he not? Look at verse 25. Here's what James says. He says, The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer 
who acts, he will be blessed by his doing. Here's the contrast of this illustration. In fact, let me point out this illustration here in verse 25, just through four, I don't know, I can call them four points, but there's four verbs there. So what does this, what does this person do that's blessed? Well, look at him, four verbs, it's there. But the one, verse 25, first, who looks. Stop there just for a second. Possibly, possibly a stronger verb than verse 23. Can't be dogmatic. That verb here on verse 25, the one who looks, is the same word. Don't know if this is, you know, don't know if it means it's stronger, but it's the same word used in John 20, verse 25. Remember when the apostle John came on Easter Sunday morning and he came in and he, it says that he looked into the tomb. He, he kind of peered into the tomb. And again, people, scholars try to say, well, there's the difference. You've got somebody making a hasty glance in 23 and 24, and now you've got someone looking intently. I mean, that could be, but I don't think that's the point. That's the, but, but, but look what they're looking at. Look back at the text. The one who looks, look what he's looking into. He says, the perfect law. Amazing. James here says, of this one who's going to be blessed, is they're looking, but the first one looked, but this one is looking into the perfect law. And I think it's interesting that James just transfers from the word of truth that brought you forth to here just describing what the Bible is. He calls it a perfect law. And God's word here is described as a law, obviously, because it guides our conduct. It provides for us a path to follow on. And here, James says this law that we're to follow and commands that come to us from God, you like that little phrase? It's perfect. And it is perfect because his word is a reflection of his character and his character is perfect. So the first one looks, goes away. This one looks, what he's looking at is the perfect law. Doesn't it remind you of Psalm 19.7 that the law of the Lord is what? It's perfect. Listen, when you trust God's word, you understand that word as a perfect law. Now, Now watch this next phrase, thrilling. That perfect law, verse 25, I love this phrase, is a law of liberty. In other words, as the believer places himself or herself under that word, they experience freedom. It's a law, but it's a law that liberates and you experience freedom from the bondage of sin. And so the law of God through Jesus Christ sets men free from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of selfishness. And you well remember that Jesus said, In John chapter 8, that if the Son sets you free, you will be what? Free indeed. So listen, Grace Church, here is the paradox of the gospel when obeyed. If I can get this across to you young people, I would plead with you. Obedience to the perfect law brings freedom. Disobedience to this book brings judgment. 
That's the, one of the major themes of the Old Testament. Think just for a moment of Eve, who was deceived into thinking that she would experience a life full of knowledge and full of wisdom by partaking of what God clearly commanded her not to. And both Adam and Eve sinned, and they brought the whole world into sin. And so here, when you look into it, you look into this law, the commandments of God, he's told you what to do. It's a perfect law, but it's a law that liberates. It's a law that brings freedom. The Puritan Thomas Manton said that duty is the greatest liberty and sin is the greatest bondage. How true that is. So one, here's what this person does. You see it. They look. But secondly, and here's the key. You can underline this in verse 25. They look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and they do what? They persevere, or they perseveres, if you will. They look intently at the law. It liberates them, and they persevere. What does that mean? They continue. There's the difference. It's not the looks. It's what you do after the look. They remain. That's our word from 1 John on abiding in Christ. They look. They continue. They remain in the word of God. And again, that is the feature that marks the crucial difference between the man in 23 and 24 and the doer in 25. The doer gives full attention to the word of God and remains in it and continues in it and follows through with you, you know, follows through with it. The first man's look involves some examination, but the second man, if you will, continues with it. He remains with it. Thinking of the words of Jesus in John 8, 31, where Jesus said, if, conditional clause, you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. You've got to continue. Now, you, you know this, and I'm just encouraging. The Lord doesn't talk about what we sometimes call regenerate, rege, you know, uh, regenerational, you know, salvation, or say, you know, where someone walks an aisle, prays a prayer, decisional regeneration, they get saved, but then for five, ten, fifteen, twenty years, you may be thinking of a spouse, a neighbor, a grandchild, a grandson. Listen, Jesus said, if you continue with my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Jesus said this in Luke 8, 15. Remember the passage about the soil? Certainly you remember that. Those who, hearing the word of God, hold fast to it in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. They hear it, but the key is all four soils heard it. In fact, all four soils, the word sprang up with joy. But the the idea here of continuing and holding fast to it. So here, what's the difference? Number one, they look into the perfect law, the law of liberty. But secondly, they persevere, if you will. And thirdly, here's the third verb, verse 25. It says, being no hearer, you see it, who forgets. In other words, they hear it, 
They don't forget. It's certainly not talking about sinless perfection, but they persevere. They follow through. And number four, the fourth verb there in verse 25, but a doer who, what? Acts. And so, beloved, the word of God, like a mirror, does it does its work. When we look into it, it tells us the truth about ourselves. We are going to, and the question would be, are we going to correct the problems or are we going to simply ignore them? Are you this morning, I'm preaching to myself, going to act on the word or are you merely going to walk away? What does the Word of God reveal to you when you look into it? Does it tell you that your prayer life is not what it ought to be? Then the question James would say, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to begin to pray as you should? Does it tell you that you have bitterness in your heart? Does it tell you that you have resentment towards another in Christ? another in the body of Christ. James would say, what are you going to do about it? Does it tell you that you are not diligent as you should be in the study of it? Okay. Does it tell you that you are not as faithful in attending worship as you should be? Does it tell you that your love for Christ has grown cold? Are you going to go on as you have been, or are you going to take action? Let me just ask you, when the word's preached, do you, in the context, lay aside filthiness? And do you lay aside wickedness? Do you lay aside anger? Do you lay aside lying? Lying. I remember... When I was in high school, I'm embarrassed even to say this. But when I was in high school, I just was brutal at math. And I had geometry fifth period. And I was a believer at this point. And you know what I used to do? The test would be taken that morning. Lunch would happen. And I'd have geometry after lunch. But I would get all the theorems and the answers from the students who took it in the first four periods. They'd come out at lunch and I'd get the theorems. And I'd I'd cheat, I don't know, once or twice until I was just so convicted by it that I had to go in, first confess my sin to the Lord, and then I had to go into the teacher. I still remember the teacher. He was an Asian man, and his name was Mr. Lou. And the only thing I remember about Mr. Lou is he had hair on his knuckles. And we always used to say, where does he get that? You know, he just had this long hair like he would comb it, you know. But I had to, I had to go into Mr. Lou and just say, listen, I'm sorry. I have cheated. And he graciously forgave me. But listen. We, I, we can't just walk on as though we hear and not do. If we're bitter, if we're unforgiving, if you are anxious, you need to confess that. If you have made something an idol in your heart, 
and you hear the word and you need to walk by faith, then confess that and walk by faith. If you're envious of what someone else has, confess that. If you're coveting what someone else has, then confess that. If your tongue is out of control, then confess that. You say, well, Scott, if we follow through as the text declares, what will happen to the person who does the word, who is a doer of the word? I'm glad you asked that. Look down, verse 25. This is the best part about the whole passage. It says that a doer who acts, verse 25, it says there, he, great scripture, will be blessed in his doing. I love that. So there's a command to follow, okay? There's an illustration to understand in the mirror, okay? And then thirdly and finally, there's a a blessing to be gained. And here it lays the magnificent beauty of obeying God's word. James says, this man shall be blessed. And the blessing is a result of the doing and a reward from God. Listen, when you and I, when we do the word and put the word into action, you will be rewarded by God. You will be blessed. If I can only convince young people of that. I remember when I went back to my reunion at my Christian high school. I couldn't believe it. I graduated in a class, I don't know, 120 people in my class. And I went back to the 10-year reunion. Nobody was walking with the Lord. Very few. In fact, if you ask me, and only the Lord knows the heart, maybe 10%. And and I walked in, and I walked in at a Christian high school to an open bar. I'm like, what is this? And and from the 10-year when we walked together, in that ceremony, to 10 years later, it was a travesty. And then it began to click in why the Southern Baptist Convention says that between 18 and 20, we lose 80% of our youth. 80% who are in the church, in the life of the church, walk out at high school upon graduation, and 80% don't ever end up back in the church. But you know what struck me? Is they looked miserable to be honest with you. And the Lord had gotten a hold of my heart, and not with perfection, but I tried to obey him. I was married to Patty at the time. But listen, the reason I'm saying this is when you hear, when you receive, but when you do that word, this is a blessing to be gained. You will be blessed by God. It is experienced, I believe, both now and certainly into the future. Okay, I'm thinking of Psalm 19.8 that says that the precepts, remember in that text? The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the what? The heart. Listen, his precepts cause the heart to rejoice. You say, what is that? That's a blessing. You live in peace. You live with God's smile, if you will, upon you. The psalmist said in 119 verse 1, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek them with their whole hearts. 
Listen, as you do the word, you will be blessed. In fact, I would just say it straight to you. You show me someone who's been around the truth and show me someone who's disobedient to the truth. At worst, they're not saved. But I'll show you somebody who's also not happy and not blessed. Listen, I I promise you, as you obey this book, he will fill your heart. You certainly know this scripture in Joshua 1.8, that this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it, what? Day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then, it says, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Don't let this book depart from you. And you know, Grace Church of the Valley, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor does he stand in the path of what? Sinners. Nor does he sit in the seat of what? Scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates how much? Day and night. And what will he be like? The psalmist says, He, you, will be like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. Now, you know and I know that doesn't mean you're not going to have any trials. Doesn't mean you're not going to have great temptation. Doesn't mean that... um, Things won't fall to your account that won't grow you. But listen, as you and I walk under the umbrella of his blessing, you will prosper spiritually. You will prosper in your growth. He will give you joy that comes up out of your heart. I'm thinking of David in Psalm 19 when he's talking about the word of God. He says, more to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And moreover, by them your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is a great what? Reward. Listen, I would just tell you, if you have kids, that's our goal here in your church. You're here, your kids are over there. They're hearing something of truth. When the girls come to our house for Bible study this morning, they're going to hear truth. When the high school guys gather to hear Andy and the leaders there, they're going to hear truth from Philippians. When reality gathers tonight, they're going to hear truth taught from the Word of God. When ladies go to the Bible study on Tuesday, they're going to hear truth out of Ephesians. We're going to be about the truth because why? We believe that there's a blessing prescribed by it. In fact, Sam Storm said it this way. I like it. He said, every syllable of every statute, every clause of every commandment that ever proceeded from the mouth of God was divinely designed to to bring those who would obey into the greatest imaginable happiness of hearts. Wow. He said, don't swallow God's law like castor oil. He said, when you understand his intent, it will be like honey on your lips and the sweetness to your soul. Where's Patty? Castor oil. You've had to drink that before, haven't you? Patty was overdue. Was it with Tina? Just, man, just overdue. Was it Tina? 
overdue. And the doctor said castor oil. Do you guys heard this? Do they, do they still say drink castor oil? I mean, I, the doctor told her to drink castor oil. I said, Doc, that's what alfalfa drank in Little Rascals. Seriously. And she drank, and sure enough, that night, Christine was born over there. I, I don't know if it worked, but God's timing is in there. But I like what Storm said. Don't swallow God's law like castor oil. I remember, Patty, I do remember this. 23 years ago, you were drinking it like this. You know, and I... I kind of wanted to try it, but I didn't. Okay. Um, but listen, it's sweet. Listen, Jesus said this in John 13. If you know these things, John 13, 17, you are blessed if you do them. If you do them. Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. I love that. Luke eleven twenty eight. So listen. When the child of God looks into the word of God, he sees the son of God and he is transformed by the spirit of God to share in the glory of God. Listen, eat this book, digest this book, meditate on this book, memorize portions of this book. I'm thinking of Pilgrim's Progress when Bunyan described the magnificent mirror that the shepherds of the delectable mountain showed to Christina, Christiana and to Mercy. Here's what Bunyan said about the, the magnificent mirror. Think about this text. He said, Now the glass was one of a thousand. It would present a man one way with his own features exactly and turn it but another way, and it would show the one of the, of the very face and similitude of the prince of the pilgrim himself. Yea, Bunyan says, I have talked with those that can tell. He said, and they have said that they have seen the very crown of thorns upon his head by looking into the glass. And they have there and also seen the holes in his hands, in his feet, and his side. And the man who continues, Bunyan said, looking into the mirror of God's word, sees in it things far more wonderful than his own face. He sees not only his filthy garments, not only the spots and stains of this life, he sees it, he sees in it Christ, the Christ of the thorn-crowned brow, the Christ of the cross, his Savior, whose blood cleanses him from all sin, end of quote. I think Bunyan's point was that when a person looks into the Word of God, he sees two things. He sees first his own sin, and then he sees the sinless Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Let me just ask you this morning, do you know the Savior? You cannot obey the Scripture if you have never come to the Savior. You can't keep this book on your own. You can't obey its precepts on your own. You first must be brought forth in 118 by the word of truth. You must first come to Christ. And if you've never bowed your knee, I invite you to do that this day. You beat your breast, you pound on it and say, God, be merciful to me, a what? A sinner. And you cry out for mercy and cry out for grace and he will wonderfully save you and then give you a spirit to obey 
in the way that we should as the Spirit enables us to obey this word. For you believers this morning, let me give you a specific application to do. (laughs) To put it into practice. There could be much I would say here, but I shall refrain. But I would say this. How do you speak to one another? Scott, that's left field. No, that's not left field. Your thermometer spiritually, mine spiritually, is in direct proportion to what comes out of your mouth. You say, well, Scott, where did you get that? The text. Look next week or when we get there. Look what he says in 26. And this is really, he's giving a view of the whole book. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but what? Deceives his heart. This person's religion is what? Worthless. So listen, we can get real spiritual and talk about doctrines and talk about eschatology and all you want. But the real thing is, you want to do it? How do you speak to people in your home? How's that little red rebel in your mouth that's guarded by, by two rows of white soldiers called teeth? What's coming out of your mouth? Because what comes out of your mouth and my mouth is going to tell us if we're religious. That's one application. But here may be a little bit more convicting. I want to know what you, what does Grace Church of the Valley do? You ready? Because our church is going to change. What do you do, and I'm saying this with you, about orphans and widows? So, Scott, that's left field. No, it's not left field. Look at the next verse in 27. This is pure and undefiled before God the Father. Is this that you visit orphans and widows in their, what? Affliction. That's pretty convicting. I think we're pretty content here. I'm just telling you we are. And I'm not even sure what we need to do about it. But we got to do something. And we started that ministry last week. We're calling it James 127. Talk to Pastor David. We're going to start meeting on this stuff. Because I'm telling you, we're not worth our salt if this doesn't get put into practice in our church. You say, well, Scott, that's kind of left field. No, I'm not talking left field. That's real Christianity, isn't it? If we don't control our tongue, and if we don't visit widows and orphans and You need to come back, and I won't be here next week. Pray for me. I'm in Chicago at a board meeting for Josiah Venture with Corey and Christine will be going next year. I serve on that board. And then I'm doing a men's conference in Texas. So pray for me, okay? Next week, you'll have the wonderful privilege to hear a rare man of God, Dr. Bill Barrick, a great friend of mine. He will open the scripture, and then we'll be back in this. But I'm not quite sure what we do on orphans and widows. But I don't, you know, I mean, I'm not even sure what to say. Will you help us? You have a passion for that? And if you don't have a passion for that, I suppose I'm preaching to myself, you got to get a passion for that. There's, is there widows in our flock? Yeah, there's widows in our flock, but I might even move beyond what you would think is a normal widow. we got single moms in our flock. What are we doing? Well, I think we got one another's going into practice. Praise the Lord. Need to do that. But collectively, 
That's my heart, right? We, we want to we meet that need. And I think needs are being met, but I just, you walk, up, you walk by our single moms? I think some of you do. You put your arms around them. They have a battle and they're in shoes that so many of us are not. And I just think, listen, we got a church, praise God, made up of strong families, but not every family is strong. In fact, I would say to myself, and I would say it sincerely to you, if you think every family is strong in our radius around where we are, we've got our head in the sand. There's tremendous spiritual, satanic battles going on right here in our own city. And so we've just got to, we, we, we got to put it into practice, and I'm preaching to myself, and we're a young church, but listen, help us. There's a there's an event coming up for adoption and what that looks like. And even so many kids that are without homes and they go into foster care and they get passed from one home to the next home to the next. How do, how do we do that? How do we? I want us to, don't you? I mean, that's the, he's, that's the direct application. And the third one is this, to you young people as well as anybody, the third is to keep oneself unstained from what? the world. Got to live pure. Got to live holy. It's, it's hard in our day to not get unstained. There, you know, there's people not here. They're here every two, three, four weeks. They're just all over. Listen, I want us to go forward, but listen, it might even get a little uncomfortable. Maybe you're, maybe you're a little uncomfortable here, and all I can say is good. Good. Be uncomfortable in the sense, I don't want to just be so content, right? So listen, help us. Will you pray with me on that? I'm not even sure what it looks like. But let's pray that we, as we go forward, can control our tongues, can minister to orphans and widows, and can keep ourselves unstained from the world. Amen?